0: All right, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3? And uh, if you're using a, a, one of the red Bibles in the, the seat pocket in front of you, Galatians 3 is on page 566. Um, the The... Text in your bulletin, as well as on the screen, is actually beginning at chapter four, but we're going to back up and say the last bit of chapter three, and then we're going to get into chapter four. Um, we're continuing our series that we're calling From Death to Life, which is looking at the various steps along the way in which we have experienced and received God's grace in our salvation. Paul tells us that uh, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the story of every Christian. Every disciple of Jesus, this is their story, a story of going from death to life. And so we've been spending these weeks looking at what the Bible says about that story. What does it mean for God to call us to Himself? What does it mean for God to justify us through His Son? And this morning we're looking at what does it mean for Him to adopt us into His family. Um, The Gospel of John begins this way. He says, that Jesus has come into the world, but not everyone received him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. This is a great blessing and privilege that we have as Christians, as brothers and sisters who have trusted in Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are called children of God. And so we're going to look at This idea of being adopted into God's family. And we're looking at it from the letter to the Galatians, beginning in chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 23 and then we'll read the first seven verses of chapter 4. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came There is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And now chapter 4. And I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and this wonderful truth, God, that you, the God of the universe, have made us your children. We pray now, through your word and through your spirit, would you stir up in our hearts gratitude for that grace, a thankfulness for what you have done and would you convict us of ways that we have not lived in accordance with that new family you've brought us into? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at being adopted into the family of God. And being adopted uh, means that we, are, we, we, we receive three things. This is what we're talking about this morning. We receive three things, or three things are, are brought to us. Um, we're First, we're we're brought into a new family. So to be adopted by God is to be brought into a new family. Second, we're also brought into this access to the Father. We're brought into a relationship with the Father. And then third, we're brought into freedom. We experience a freedom being adopted as God's children. So first, let's look at being um, adopted and being brought into a family. Um. Paul says this in verse 25, um, sorry, verse 26 of chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That through our faith, we are adopted as children of God, brothers and sisters in his family. This is a wonderful gift uh, that we get to call one another in Christ, brothers and sisters. When I was a child growing up, there were a few occasions uh, in which my parents would uh, buy us new clothes and get us all pretty, and then we would go and take family photos. And then we would, we, we would hang those family photos in our house so as to remind us that we belonged there. I, I don't know why, but we had family photos taken. Uh, and then there were other times, like when we were going on vacation that we would have to pack a particular outfit that coordinated color scheme wise with everyone else so that like, we could go on the beach and take a family photo. Uh, There was one vacation, we went with two other families that we were so close to, we we called them our second and third family. I mean, we just spent so much time with them. We went on vacation together, and we were younger kids at the time, so one of the activities we did on that trip was we made tie-dye shirts using the salt water out on the beach. And then at the end of the week vacation, we all put on our tie-dye shirts and took this giant photo of of all of us and then all of the kids. And and it, it, it was a wonderful experience. It felt like I belonged to this family. My family was bigger than just my family, but I belonged. I wore this shirt that identified me with them. In high school, I was part of the marching band. I played on the drum line. And every Friday night, we would don our uniforms, and we were a pretty big marching band, we were pretty good, there was 250 others of us, and we would go out there and march together wearing our uniforms, and we each played different instruments, and we each played at different times, but together we were unified. We, were, we belonged to one another, and our uniforms signified that, that we belonged to this band together. My wife, Sarah, and I lived in St. Louis for a couple years, and uh, in the fall, on Fridays and Saturdays, I would occasionally at the grocery store or something uh, see someone from across the aisle who was wearing an Ohio State Buckeyes shirt or jersey. And uh, I was wearing one too. And we would look at each other and give each other a little nod. We were so far from Columbus, so far from Ohio, and yet in that moment, there was a sense in which, I understand you. We belong to each other. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of this family of Buckeye Nation. The clothes that we wear in some way define who we belong to. We don things like a family crest that signifies, I belong to this family, and Paul actually uses the exact same illustration. He says in verse 27 For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he's using this word of putting on clothes. That if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have put on Christ. As if you were putting on a shirt, new clothes. You are wearing the family crest of God. We belong to one another in this family. Despite our backgrounds. Despite where we have come from. We belong to this family. And Paul says, you wear now Christ. He is your identity. You belong to Him. We're part of this new family of God. And and there's some really practical applications of this. I, I mean, first of all... If our primary identity now is belonging to Christ, belonging to his family, all other identities that we might have have to take a back seat. If not, go away completely. He even says, like, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ. That our former identities, whatever we used before to characterize our lives, now must take a back seat to our primary allegiance and identity in Christ. our, Our allegiance to the family of God now defines us. That doesn't mean in all cases that we get rid of those other identities, but that this one becomes our primary one. In the ancient world, it was the family of your community that gave you an identity. Your family was, your identity was wrapped up in who your family was, what your family did, the profession that they had, the status that they held in society. Your identity was wrapped up in your family. And Paul is saying, now you are part of the family of God. Your primary identity in this world is with him. That's our, that's our first application. Whatever, whatever way in which you want to define yourself in this culture, in our world today, by your career, your profession, even your sexuality, those things do not matter when we come to Christ. That He is our ultimate allegiance and identity. And the second application is just as we have been accepted into the family of God, despite our backgrounds and different ways we have chosen to identify ourselves, that we are to welcome one another in the family of God, despite those differences as well. You know, he says, uh, neither Jew nor Greek. So our, eth- our ethnic background, our racial background, we are to be welcoming to one another in the family of God no matter those backgrounds and differences. He says there's neither slave nor free. So economically, there should not be any uh, barrier for welcoming people into the family of God in that way. We are to be welcoming to, to all who come to Christ and find their identity in him. So whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, The family of God is to be a place where we are all welcome together. Now, I've heard multiple times um, from many of you how the size of our church, although it maybe is is not what we would all want it to be, that there's an enjoyment of that because it's a small, close-knit community in which we know each other and can be known by one another. There's a sense in which we can love one another because we're so close. It doesn't take long to feel like you belong in this family. And I I love that about our church. I hope that we always uh, have that culture of welcoming one another in that way. But I hope that we grow. I, I, I hope you hope that we grow too. Not for the sake of being great or for our own namesake or anything like that. I hope that we grow so that more people can be known and know the love of God for themselves. But in order for us to grow in that way, we need to be a family that is welcoming to all. We need to be a a place that shows the welcome of God that we have received from God. And so when a visiting family joins us for the first time... Are we welcoming them into our family as if we would welcome a guest into our house? Like, do we offer to take their coats and hang it for them? Do we make sure that they know where the bathrooms are? Or if they've got kids, how to sign them up for the nursery or children's church? Do you see someone new and then do you go to them and welcome them and say hi and introduce yourself? Or do you go sit by yourself? We need to be a community that, that, that knows how to welcome people into our family. And one of the values that we have is we want to be uh, a restful community. And that means that everyone who visits us, it, it, it's as though that they are coming as our expected guests. We want them to feel welcomed as part of our family. That's our desire is that they would become part of our family. And I think the third application of being welcomed into this family of God is that we commit to sticking together as the family when things get rough. We just watched the movie Encanto, which is a wonderful movie. Beautiful music, a great story, really compelling. If you haven't watched it, you need to. It's about this family that's breaking apart. There's cracks running through their relationships, Each of the characters has something about them that makes it difficult uh, to love one another. There's stress, and there's anger, and there's expectations. There's uh, pressure. There's gossip. There's so many ways in which this family system in this movie is, is hurting one another, and they are literally breaking apart. And the movie is, is beautiful because in the end, it, the family is restored and that's symbolized in their, their home being rebuilt. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's glorious. But it made me realize, like, the church is a family. And the same dysfunctions and dynamics that occur in our own families are going to happen in our family. If you are part of the church long enough, unfortunately, you are going to be hurt by someone. You are going to be offended by something someone said. You are going to be slandered. You are going to be gossiped about. You are going to feel pain as part of the family. I'm not saying we we should want that at all. No, no. I'm just saying, naturally, when broken people come together and, and try to live together and love one another, our sin comes out. And we will, unfortunately, feel the pain of that. And unfortunately, we live in a part of the world and a society in which, when we start feeling hurt, our, 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 our quickest way out is to leave and find something else. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there are so many churches preaching the gospel, but unfortunately, we have the freedom and the ability to, if you get hurt, you can go across the street to another church. But what do you think is going to happen to you there? Like You're going to get hurt there, and then you're just going to keep going down Lander and find another church, and another church, and another church. Because the truth is, every church is a family, and every family has these issues. But if if God is the one that's brought us together as a family, well, then we have the power from Him to be united and committed to one another in this family. I mean, He says, for those who have been baptized have put on Christ." If you've been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Our our entrance into the family of God is through the waters of baptism, which symbolize the fact that, yes, I am a sinner and my sin has been washed away. I am covered now in the blood of Christ. I am united to Him. And so, we ought to be the place in which sin can be forgiven. We ought to be the place in which we bear one another's burdens together. The church ought to be the place in which we confess our sin to one another and are reminded of the gospel. We should be the place in which grace and mercy triumph. We should not be known for skipping town when things get difficult. We have this wonderful opportunity to show the world that is fractured that there is hope. We can be together despite our differences, despite our our backgrounds, and despite our sin. That is what it means to belong to the family of God. God has adopted us into that family. But secondly, He's also, in in adopting us, has brought us into a relationship with the Father Himself. We see that in chapter 4, in uh, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. This is the Aramaic word for dad. It's not sir. It's not father. It's dad. And it's a very personal word. Often you might see this happen after the service, or before the service, when I'm talking to you. Our son Theo will come up. And even though I'm talking to someone else, he will say, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, Dad, uh, I, I know you all know what I'm talking about. What does he want? He wants me to pay attention to him. He's calling me by the, the way that he talks to me, he wants a relationship. He wants access to me. Uh, On the Sundays that Sarah is down in the nursery and and Theo comes up after children's church and he's sitting by himself or with someone else, he'll often try to come on stage when I'm up here talking. And we we laugh and it's like, oh, kind of awkward, but what does he want? He wants to be with his dad. We have the spirit within us that cries out, What a great gift. The spirit that cries out, Dad. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when his disciples asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Do we have to use fancy words? Do we need to use theological language? Do we have to do it at a certain time or looking a certain way? No. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Dad, our Father, who art in heaven, go to Him as a Father. What a great gift that we've been given, this access to God. When I think of access to God, you know, I initially think of, like, Isaiah. When he saw the God Almighty sitting on His throne. The the temple shook and trembled. That's what I imagine approaching the throne of God to be like. And yet we have been given this access to Him. It's like, I never had this opportunity, maybe you did. Going to a concert and then being given VIP passes... A pass that you can go up to the the guard and say, no, I am a very important person. Let me through. And that's what we've been given. But not only do we have the VIP pass, God himself says, hey, let him come. He, she is very important to me. We have this great access to the Father. And so let's go to him in prayer. Let's, let's talk to Him about what we're dealing with. You know, the, the other time in Jesus' ministry that He uses Abba, Father, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before He died, weeping and crying out to His Father, Abba, Father. We can go to Him in our times of distress We can go to Him in our times of need. Jesus says, why are you anxious about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, this, that, and the other? Why are you so worried about these things? Don't you know that your Father in heaven knows that you need these things? He's going to give them to you. So let's approach our Father with this personal access that we've been given. Let's ask Him. James, in in his letter to the church, gives us this sobering reality. He, He says, you lack because you do not ask. The things that you don't have that you want, the things that you don't have that you need, you don't have them because you are not asking them, asking for them. So let's go to our dad and ask. When we transition into the uh, season of Lent here coming up in March, as we prepare for Easter, Lent is a season of sacrifice. It's a season of fasting where uh, often people give up something during that season. It's an opportunity to demonstrate dependence on God. We're going to come up with, I'm in the process of building out a prayer guide, a daily prayer guide for us to walk through together, just a simple prayer every day for the season of Lent to get us to depend on God. Let's approach Him as our Father, the one who says, you are very important to me. Come, pray, let's talk. This is what we've been given being adopted into God's family, this access to Him as our Father. Third, we've been given freedom. Three times in these two paragraphs, Paul talks about us being held captive. First, in chapter 3, verse 23, before faith came, so before we trusted in Christ, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Then, down in chapter 4, verse uh, 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, uh, he's, he's saying, when we were younger and immature before faith had come, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then at the end of our passage, verse 7, So now you are no longer a slave, but a son. Three times he refers to us, apart from faith in Christ, as being enslaved. And the slavery that we have, the captivity that we are in, apart from Christ, is to the law. That we are enslaved to the law. And, and when Paul talks about the law here, um, I think in, in a general sense, he's talking about the Old Testament and everything that God has revealed to his people about what he asks of his people. But then in, in particular, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, the, 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 the law that the Lord revealed to Moses and that Moses gave to God's people, these Ten Commandments. And uh, he's saying that we were enslaved to it. In what way were we before Christ enslaved to the law? That's a good question. When Paul is talking about a slave here, he relates it to a child who, although he is an heir of a promise, is too young to take hold of it. He says that there, imagine a, a kid who is promised an inheritance, but he's still a minor. And so he's not responsible enough. He's not able yet to receive and take ownership of what is promised to him. And in that way, this child is like a slave. Or a slave is like this child. It sort of goes back and forth. And, and uh, it's this image of this child who is not able to do the thing that he wants to do. And any parent in here knows this experience. Or maybe if you've babysat for a kid, you know this experience of a kid saying, uh, no, I can do it myself. Like when, when Julia, when we, there was a season of life where when we would dress her in the morning, uh, put her clothes on her, she would protest and say, no, I want to do it myself. She couldn't do it herself, but she wanted to. And it, it's that childlike Behavior that I think uh, exists in adults today too, this desire to do something ourselves, even though very clearly we can't do it. That is the way in which we were enslaved to the law. The law was given to us and said, uh, follow this because this is the way that the Lord wants you to live and, and be brought into life. And we think, I can do it. I can do it. But we can't. We're enslaved to it. Paul says we're enslaved uh, to the elementary principles of the world, which is a a fascinating term. And in the context of this passage, it it relates to kind of like the basic things that a young child learns first in his education, like ABCs or 1, 2, 3. These basic fundamental elements of the world. And Paul is saying, when we were slave to sin and enslaved to the law, we approached the law like that. That if we just did X, Y, Z, well, then we fulfilled it. And you hear this from people today. Maybe you've said it yourself. I'm not, a, I'm not a bad guy. I've never murdered anyone. That's using the law in this elementary way. I've never murdered, I've never committed adultery, I don't steal, I've never borne false witness against my neighbor. My my neighbor's got a nice car, but I don't know, maybe sometimes I covet it. We approach the law like it's these building blocks of our faith, that if if only I did these things, well then I truly live. But we're enslaved to that. Just look at how Jesus actually, like, ratchets up this standard. He he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you've ever looked at someone with lustful intentions and thoughts, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. You've heard it said, do not murder. But if you have harbored hatred towards your brother... You are guilty of murder. What Jesus is doing is, He's saying you approach the law in this ABC's kind of way, as if you understood the English language because you know the alphabet. But Jesus is saying, no, to understand the law, to fulfill the law, to live in accordance to the law, it is so much higher than you could ever imagine. It is so much greater. The demands it has on you are so high. So we are enslaved to it. We think we can do it, but we can't. We're enslaved to it and, and bound to it. And it's unfortunate because our experience with our Heavenly Father is such that, like, when we're enslaved to when we realize we can't do it, we get anxious and nervous. How does God think about me if I can't live up to his standard? How does God posture himself toward me if I can't live up to his law? So much of, uh, of childhood is wondering and, and striving for and seeking your father's approval. You want your dad to delight in you. You want your dad to have his favor on you and be pleased with you. But if we approach the law in this way, we're enslaved to it. We're anxious. Does our Father in heaven who gave us this law approve of me? We're slaves to it. But when we're adopted, we are set free. We're brought into freedom. And the way that we gain this freedom is is right here. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was born into the Jewish world. He was born under the law. And he he came under the law to do what? To redeem those who were under the law. Jesus came into this world in order to fulfill in his own life the demands of the law. And because he did that, If we are united to Him, if we trust in Him, if we believe in His name, well then He sets us free from the law because His obedience becomes our own. We are so united to Jesus that His obedience as a son of the Father becomes our own. And so not only are we adopted into God's family, not only are we adopted into this access to God, we are adopted and brought Out of slavery to the law and now live in freedom as a son. We all want our Father's approval. How much more have we been seeking our Heavenly Father's approval? But if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Him, what is true of Jesus is true of you. So that when you read that at His baptism, The heavens opened up and the voice came down from heaven that said, This is my beloved child. With him I am well pleased. He said that about you. That the Father looks at you and says, You are my beloved child. My beloved son. My beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. Is that the way you conceive of God's posture towards you? That he delights in you? That he loves you? That he is pleased with you? That is his posture towards you as part of the family of God. I always like to think of the prodigal son story. You know the story of the father who has two sons and one of them says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And he took it and he ran away. And he squandered it all. He was foolish. He made a waste of his life. And when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go back home and go to my dad. I'm going to say... Would you hire me as one of your servants? Would you welcome me back as a slave? And so we went back home, fully expecting that he would return to his father as a hired servant. And yet, from afar off, the father began to run to him, hiking up his clothes, running, throwing his arms around his son, putting the ring on his finger, delighted that his son had returned to him. He was not upset with him. He did not rebuke him. He did not condemn him. He did not judge him. He said, you were lost. You have been found. You were dead. Now you are alive. You are my son. Friends, that is what we have Now, with God. He looks at you, and he says, you are my child. Come to me. Talk to me. Enjoy being part of my family. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. I delight in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our Father. Too often we just say that and we forget the immense grace that's wrapped up in that. Father, that you, the God of the universe, would choose to welcome us as your children. What great grace. Father, we pray that, that this church would become more and more um, a demonstration of that family love that you have brought us into. And, Father, we thank you that you give us access now to your throne as a child comes to his father. We thank you, Lord, that you welcome us and that you hear us. And most of all, Lord, we thank you that we have freedom, freedom from the law through your own son who lived perfectly in obedience to it so that he might free us from it. And now we come to you with the assurance, Father, that you look upon us are pleased. You love us. We pray that the Spirit would remind us of that truth today and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.